The following audio is a sermon from the season of Advent. For more information about Sacred City Church, please visit sacredcitychurch.com. I always get nervous when we light those candles. I got a video going just in case. I mean, it could be a viral video hit sensation. YouTube sensation, somebody used a little bit too much hairspray. <laughs> like, like the dried up Christmas tree. I'm expecting it every year. Thank God it hasn't happened. Uh, welcome to Sacred City. My name's Justin. I'm the pastor here. Uh, Merry Christmas Eve to you. Um, I, it's going to be short tonight. I'm just going to let you know. It is uh, a wonderful Christmas Eve. We've got a white Christmas. It's great. Kids love it. It's uh, toasty outside. And uh, I, just, I, I, I thoroughly love the Christmas season, and now it's over, right? Tomorrow it's over. Um, all those songs that we sang tonight, and we're going to sing one more when I'm done. We're going to sing Joy to the World. Um, three out of four of those songs are at least a couple hundred years old. They're old songs, right? Most of us are really familiar with them. We hear them on the radio starting the day after Thanksgiving. We hear them in the mall when we're shopping. Uh, they're in all of our favorite Christmas, mo- Christmas movies, but I think that most of the time... When we become really familiar with things like that, we, we lose uh, most of the meaning. I know when I, re- when I read the songs, I'm like, oh, it says that. Because I just hum that part because I have no idea what it says when it's on the radio. But these Christmas carols are actually very poignantly written, Christ-centered hymns that were, um, they were very dark. They weren't really meant to be, they weren't meant to be sung to the kind of the, the happy, clappy, uh, cutesy music that we've put, put them to, uh, a lot of the songs. Um, and, and when you get into them, every, every single song, actually, even though we're kind of smiling when we're singing most of them, and, and you know, they're on the radio and they're catchy, um, there's actually this, this thread that goes through every single one of those Christmas songs, and almost every cri- Christian hymn and Christmas carol that we sing, it's got this thread that's going through it that's actually really dark when you think about it. And for us tonight, it's important that we don't get caught up. It's really easy to. It's important for us not to get caught up in our culture's uh, benign, uh, sentimental, sterilized version of Christmas. Right? Many people, if you ask them, what's the meaning of Christmas? What's the purpose? They're going to give you some version of this. Christmas is a time of year where we all just smile and treat each other nicely. Right? It's, it, always, it comes down to some version of that. Some version of it's about us. It's about feeling nice. It's about holding hands. It's about getting gifts. It's about just the, the Christmas spirit. That's our culture's attitude regarding Christmas in a nutshell. It's sentimental. It's humanistic. That means it's kind of us-centered. It's man-centered, and it's just powerless. It's sappy. What I mean by it's powerless is that it literally has no power, right? Like, be nice. Well, that was perfect. <laughs> right? Be nice. Why? I don't feel nice. I'm not in a good mood. Things aren't going well for me this year. Right? Maybe I lost that the closest one to me. Maybe I'm sick in my body. We've got relationships that are breaking apart. Families, been in, businesses fail. I got difficulties going on. 
Why should I be nice? See, it's powerless. Put on a Christmas, put on a little happy, clappy song and be nice. See, it doesn't get down deep enough. Our culture's view of Christmas doesn't get down deep enough to tell us why we should treat each other nicely. Right? All of the, and you kind of compare the Christian hymns, the Christian Christmas carols to like the other Christmas songs. And you've got what? Chestnuts on an open fire. What are those? I mean, I know what they are, but does anybody actually do that? Right? But we love singing. You know, Nat King Cole, I want him to sing to me. Tell me about them chestnuts, baby. Tell them. <laughs> right? They, they sound good when he sings it. We got jingle bells. Right? We've kids turned that one all around. Right? And I know one without Batman in it. Right? We got holly jolly Christmas, a holly jolly. We sing this stuff. Right? Holly jolly Christmas. But what we, what we see in the Christmas, the Christian Christmas carols, the old hymns, is the unashamed description, now listen, of our world. I love it, man. I love, this time of year, I really do love getting into the old uh, hymns. And the, the writers of these hymns uh, were so, they had such a clear view of our world as it is. They weren't sappy and sentimental. They unashamedly describe our world that we live in as one that's dark, as one that's broken, and one that's cursed. Cursed. It's the language of the hymns. When we sing joy to the world, when we sing joy to the world after this, you're going to see that in there. This world is cursed. That's dark. There's no sappy sentimentality, sentimentality here. Joy to the world, the song Joy to the World, is one of the most upbeat and happy songs that we sing around here. Right? We're going to sing it next, and woo, it's going to be great, right? Joy to the world, happy. But right in the middle of it, Isaac Watts, the guy who wrote it, he writes this. Speaking of Jesus, Jesus comes, he comes to make his blessings flow. Well, woo, I like that. Far as the curse is found, far as the curse is found, far as the curse is found. Jesus is bringing his blessing. Why? Because this world that we live in has been cursed. I love that. No man-centered, let's hold hands and turn that frown upside down. No pop psychology telling us to be nice to one another and everything will just work out. Just hope for the better. 2014, it'll be your year. Absolutely not. These hymns reveal the storyline of creation, the storyline of Scripture. Many of us think that we know what the Bible. We think we, the Bible is about a book of rules. Okay, there are some commandments in there, right? You've broken most of them or all of them, right? We're good at doing that. But the Bible is not mainly a book of rules. That's not what it's about. There's a storyline of Scripture, There's a narrative arc of Scripture that's giving the arc of humanity and the arc, ultimately, of our redemption. Well, what do we need redemption for? See, the Christmas story, the story of Christmas, is first and foremost a very dark story. And I think this story should resonate with us. It should make sense of of the way things are. The happy, clappy version of Christmas is such a letdown. Tomorrow at 1 o'clock. You know what I mean. 
The presents are open, right? The kids are not that thrilled. My kids are playing with the wrapping paper. The toys are, you know, and they want whatever the other one has, like 1 o'clock, and we still got the bills to come, right, (laughs) in January. The sappy sentimentality, it doesn't make sense of the story that that we find our lives in today. Just be happy, be nice, be kind. It doesn't make sense. See, the story of Christmas has got this dark underpinning to it. Christmas is a message of unparalleled hope. And yet Christmas is also telling us something about the world and about your own heart, about your own mind that is sobering and insulting to the modern man. See, Christmas tells us Things were so bad. Human beings were so bad. We are so bad that we could never fix ourselves. We could never repair the damage that we have done to our relationship with God, to our relationship with others, and to our relationship to this world that we live in. It is beyond repair. We have jacked it up and there's no fixing it. Christmas shows us that we are so bad that God had to leave heaven and send His Son, put His Son in the flesh of a little baby in a rescue mission for humanity and for all of creation. Right? You, you've heard this, you know, you, your dad, don't make me come down there. Well, God came down. He had to. It was that bad. It was that bad. I have this friend who was raised in a Christian home, but has become an atheist. And we message a lot back and forth. And he likes to tell me, um, he's got a kind of a, chiefly he feels it's a scientific view of the world that um, says that the whole world, everything that's in, in existence, um, has, be, has uh, came about by random chances. And, but yet, this is the quirky part, but yet he still believes that his life has meaning. He still wants to hold on that there's some purpose for him out there and there's some meaning that he can have. There's something about him that, that longs for this. The, he, and I just tell him all the time, I'm like, you're sentimental. You're just sentimental, dude. You're just emotional. You just, you just want something that you can't, you can't get both, both ways. He, I'm, I always challenge him because he thinks he's real logical. Like, you're not being logical. You're not being purely logical. Listen, and this, let me clarify this. Listen to this atheist, uh, Bertrand Russell. I I think he was in in the 40s. He was a mathematician. He was a real smart guy. Listen to this. This this is a quote from him. Moreover, if you accept the ordinary laws of science, you have to suppose that human life and life in general on this planet will die out in due course. Listen, it's merely a flash in the pan. It's a stage in the decay of the solar system. At a certain stage of decay, you get the sort of conditions and temperature and so forth which are suitable for protoplasm. That's us. And there is life for a short time in the life of the whole solar system. Okay? Now, here's here's his point. You see in the moon the sort of thing to which the earth is tending. Something dead, cold, and lifeless. Merry Christmas from an atheist. A very smart one, in fact. See, 
This is the worldview of an atheist who is purely logical. This is a man who sees the implications, or at least some of the implications, of this world without a God. And what does he say this world is destined for? He says, just look at the moon. That's where we're all headed. Something dead, cold, and lifeless. We're just a flash in the pan in the stage of decay of the solar system. We're here by accident, by happenstance. Some molecules got a little too hot and just burst up, and we became a living being. And guess what? Look to the moon. That's where we're headed. Eventually, we're going to run out of energy, and the whole thing's just going to go kaput. Life has no meaning. There is no such thing as morality. It's all invented in our, our own culture. And as they say in Brother Karamazov, if there is no God, everything is permissible. That's atheist. That's a true atheist. That's where we get a, a scientific worldview will take you. There's no, eth- there's no reason for ethics behind that. But my friend wants to be an atheist and hold on to morality at the same time. But we don't get to do that. We can't do that. Listen, I won't even disagree with Russell in this. Because Russell is saying things are dark. Listen, the world is cursed. It does have an expiration date on it. But here's the thing about science. It can only tell us how things are. Science cannot tell us what they are for. It can't tell us the purpose behind it. Science can't tell us why things are the way they are. When you ask science why, because it is. That's the way it is. It can't tell us why. But listen, Christmas can. Christmas tells us why. This is what the story of Christmas is all about. That God created a perfect world, and in that world, man had a choice, and he rebelled. He did not create robots. He created men who had the option to follow his ways, to love him, or not to love him. Man, we know, chose not to love him, chose to do things their own way, and God cursed mankind and creation from that moment on. From that moment on, roses bore thorns, Relationships were broken, relationship with God, relationship with each other, relationship with the earth. All of the thing was tainted. And for hundreds of years, thousands of years, God gave men laws. He gave them laws, not because he thought that this was going to be their way to get back to him, but he gave men laws to show that you cannot obey these laws. They're simple. There's ten of them. Don't kill your brother, right? It's not a hard law. Right? But we break them. Don't lie. Obey your parents. We know the Ten Commandments, most of them, right? But we all, and even in this room, we've been guilty of breaking those commandments. And here's the thing. When you, you want to, di- pick kids, you want to disobey your parents, you want to drive you, as fast as you want to drive, you want to drink a little sauce while you're driving, you want to smoke a little something while you're driving, you get pulled over, what happens? You're going to go to the courthouse, aren't you? And you can go, hey! I followed nine out of ten of the Ten Commandments. And the judge is going to go, yeah, but you broke one, right? Well, you broke his law, but you disobeyed your parents. That's the commandment that you broke. And guess what is going to happen? You're going to pay for the, the crime, correct? doesn't matter how many you obeyed. You broke one. You have to pay the punishment for that one. That's a high standard. That's just a human judge. But the Bible teaches that God is a holy judge. That God is over all creation. 
And then when we break one, we're guilty of breaking all the commandments. So we've got thousands of years of man breaking God's commandments, man failing to live up to any sort of standard. And God is, in fact, proving how dark creation is, how cursed that we are, how bent in on ourselves that we are. But God shows his graciousness and being kind and withholding wrath and withholding judgment, not just wiping us out and starting over. He withholds his wrath, and he does something unthinkable. God wraps himself up in a baby. Veiled in flesh, the Godhead see. Hail incarnate deity. The deity, God, who exists in a trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the Son enters into the womb of Mary and is born a man. That's the story of Christmas. And what is it? We were so bad that God had to come save us. And Jesus Christ, born in the womb of a a woman of Mary, grows up, never sins, never disobeys the parents, never breaks the law, never, he, he can stand before the throne of God and he has a perfect record. He's the only one who has a perfect record. But what does he get? Listen, How dark is our world? What do we do to a sinless, humble, Jewish carpenter? We crucify him. And Jesus Christ goes to the cross to pay the price for sinners like us. And this is what I like about Christmas. Right? Christians, we can embrace the darkness. We can explain why things are the way they are. That mankind has sinned and rebelled from his creator and God has cursed us and cursed this world that we live in. But here is where we differ from every other religion on the planet. We have Christmas. Every other religion has a list. They have a holy book, but their holy book is not a story. Their holy book is a list of rules. And it says, if you want to get back in the good graces of that God, obey it. Follow it. Do this. Christianity is totally different. Christmas is what's different. Well, and Easter, but Christmas is one of the things that's different about Christianity. Our God didn't say, keep trying, keep trying, do better. Our God came down. That's humility. It's unheard of. God has entered into this cursed creation to make everything right. Many people have looked around and they've speculated, the world is so chaotic, how could a God of order make this? It's cursed! That's what's wrong with everything. But don't, why do we have this ache inside of us for something that's right, something that's better, something that's more beautiful, something that's more true? Where does that ache come from? If we're destined to be just like the moon, dead, lifeless, and cold, where does the ache, where does the want come from? I want a hamburger. Guess what? I can go find one. There's some, that's really out there, right? When I ache for something, it's going to be out there. God's put that ache inside of us. So in a Christian, during Christmas, we don't have to sing this happy, clappy, holly, jolly garbage. And they're fun, whatever. We can embrace the darkness of our lives. 
the broken relationships, of the difficulty that we have. How hard can it be to love another person? Really hard, right? It's really hard to love another person. We can embrace the darkness in our humanity. We can embrace that. But listen, it's not all darkness. It's not darkness without hope. So in a minute, when we sing joy to the world, what we're talking about is the Lord has come in spite of the darkness. That God has come into the darkness. See, Christmas also gives us great hope. It gives us great joy. But it doesn't do that by denying the darkness and just singing and like, and just, you know, plugging our ears and plugging our eyes and acting like things aren't dark and things aren't bad. It explains the darkness. It tells us why it's here. It says, yes, it's dark. It's really dark. Horrible things are happening in our society every single day and all across the world. Atrocities are happening every single day. But it says, in fact, right, yeah, it's dark, but in fact, it's even darker than any of us realize. But Jesus says in John 8, 12, he spoke to them and he said this, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Jesus Christ said, I am and the light of the world. Jesus shows us that God is in the process of making all things new. Light, and we're going to sing this part, light and life to all he brings, risen with healing in his wings, born that man no more may die, born to raise the sons of earth, born to give them second birth. See, here's the one thing I know about every person in this room is we're all going to die. One day we're all going to be like the moon. We're all going to be dead, lifeless, worm food. We're headed that way, every one of us. You could get there through cancer. You could get there through a car wreck. You could get there rocking, but you're going to get there. And here's the thing. Veiled incarnate deity, Jesus Christ becomes a man, lives the life that none of us can live, perfect life and obedience to God, dies the death that we all deserve, pays the price for our sin for us, is resurrected, ascended at the right hand of God, and has defeated death. So for the Christian, there's life after death, but now listen, but there's also life after, life after death. There's life after death, we go to heaven. But then, when Christ comes back the second time, there's life after, life after death. And heaven and earth meet somewhere in the middle, and this earth is remade. It's not scrapped, it's restored. It's made perfect. Thorns are gone, right? Animals will lay... Lion and the lamb will lay down next to each other. The world that we all want, the world that we all hope for is coming. And Jesus Christ, the light of the world, he's the the light at the end of the tunnel that we know it's coming. It's out there. I see it. I know. I can see that. Maybe it's just a train and in the blackest night I can see just a little light. But I know it's coming. The incarnation, the birth of Jesus Christ is the light that we can see. It may be a far way, a, a far way off, but it's coming. It's real. It's happening. But I'm going to ask you. So that's what we have. I'm going to die. 
And I'm going to go be with Jesus because, I, because of the faith, the grace that God has given me, the faith that I put in Jesus Christ, that I get this life after death and then life after life after death. That's a great hope for me and for many in this room. But if you're not a Christian, listen, if you're not a Christian, where's your hope? Where's your hope? Don't be sentimental. Don't be sentimental. Be, be logical. Be real. Where's your hope? This world is dark. I love what Corey said on Sunday. A room full of Christians, right? Room full of Christians. Keep an eye on your purse. This room is dark. This world is dark. Don't get caught up in the hoopla of this season. Be logical. Without Christ, your life has no meaning. Listen to Bertrand Russell. Look to the moon. It's dead, it's cold, it's lifeless. That's where you're headed. There's no redemption. Listen, there's no redemption. What does redemption mean? To things to be made right, to be brought back in right relationship. There's no redemption outside of Christ. There's no life after death outside of Christ. There's no life after life after death outside of Christ. There's no hope. The world is headed for destruction, and so are we. Without Christ, there's no hope. But listen, as I close, when we experience Christmas, when we really think about it and we we let the implications of it sink down deep into our hearts, it changes us. It's in, in joy to the world. He's got the, we're going to sing about the wonders of his love. It's the wonders of his love. It's wondrous. Because listen, here's the thought. Christmas tells us we were so bad, God had to come and save us. But Christmas also shows us that we are so loved that Jesus wanted to come. It wasn't like the father's twisting his arm and saying, all right, I'll pay you double. Come on, go do it, please. Right? Jesus he looks down and he says, I want to rescue these people. These people need a savior. These people need a redeemer. These people need someone who can walk the line. And God says, go. And Jesus walks the line for us. And then Jesus dies the death for us. And now that offer of forgiveness and grace and redemption is offered to all of us today, sheerly by grace and sheerly by faith. That's the wonders of his love. Christmas doesn't deny the darkness. In fact, we say, yes, it's dark, but light has come. And that light will soon come again. I love it. In in the new creation, it says that we won't need a sun because the glory of God will be our sun. See, the light has come, this little bitty baby. We see it from a far way off. But in the new creation, it's going to be the light that envelops all of us. It's going to be the light that we see everything else through. And when he comes again, he's going to bring the complete restoration of all things with him. And heaven and nature will sink. Now listen, Joy to the World is a meditation from Isaac Watts on Psalm 98. Heaven and nature sing, right? Joy to the world, that's what he says. No more let sin and sorrow grow. 
nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings flow far as the curse is found. That listen, when Jesus comes back, he fixes everything. And this is what he says in Psalms 98. While we sing in the song too. Rocks, hills, and plains will what? Repeat the sounding joy. Scripture says the trees will clap their hands and the deserts will lift up their voice and sing for joy. And as I was meditating on this, this is what I thought. If the cre- when Christ comes back and fixes everything and removes the curse, if creation will sing, if creation will sing, what will we be able to do? It says the desert will bloom. Deserts don't bloom. Streams will flow in desert. That doesn't happen. Deserts do something that they can't do now in the new creation. Trees will clap their hands. Rocks will cry out in worship. If that's true, what will we be able to do? Men and women who've been made in the image of God, tainted by sin, bent by sin. But when that curse is removed, when that sin is removed, what will we be able to do? See, that's what Christmas is all about. You may be in the darkest and most depressed situation that you've ever been in. Or things might be great. Everything in your life could look hopeless tonight. But listen, remember Christmas. Not sentiment, you know, just, I'm not telling you get warm fuzzies and be sentimental and go home and watch a Christmas movie and put on your little happy Christmas music. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying, listen, it's the blackest night. It's the blackest night where we can see even the smallest light. I just saw on Discovery Channel the other day that a human eye can see one uh, match lit from six miles away in a black sky. One match from six miles straight. Crazy. It's the blackest night where the lights shine out the clearest. And Jesus, the light of the world, has come to give us light and life. If you would only embrace him by faith tonight. I'm going to pray. Father, we thank you for this gift that you've given us. It's the gift of your son, Jesus Christ. Jesus, we thank you for loving us and actually coming and doing this. 33 years on this cursed planet after you spent eternities in communion, perfect communion with the Father and the Spirit. You spoke the world into existence. We've ruined it and you came and, in, and you wrote yourself into this story and you, you're bringing redemption and you're bringing healing from inside the story. This world as we know it may not be perfect but it is perfectly suited to show and display your redemption. We are evil and our evil killed you Our wickedness put you on our cross, but our wickedness also brought about redemption because of your perfect life and your perfect death and your perfect resurrection sealed for your Father, a church that is spotless and without wrinkle because your blood has covered those who embrace you by faith. I ask that you would offer that to people today. I ask that they would embrace you by faith today. I ask this 
as we celebrate our family, as we enjoy our family, enjoy our kids, enjoy our presence, enjoy everything that this season's all, all about, that we would remember that you are the light in the darkness. You are the reason we can have joy in this world. We praise you tonight. In Jesus' name we say, amen. Let's sing.